All right. It's the CXM experience. And I'm Grad Khan. I'm feeling chipper. I'm feeling enthusiastic. I'm feeling vaccinated. That's right. I got my vaccine this morning. Had a really interesting experience that I'm going to talk about, uh, but I'm not going to do that quite yet. First, I'm going to take care of some, some housekeeping. So I have some very avid listeners, which is great. And to all of you who are listening on a frequent basis, thank you very much. It's been great to know that you care. It's been great to get the feedback. And I've been getting some uh, pretty good feedback on my grammar. <laughs> which I welcome. Uh, it's great. I love it. Thank you very much. And so uh, I'm going to go through some grammatical corrections. Uh, first one uh, came from our story about the captain of the um, Concordia, and he's the one that ran the ship aground in a sort of drive-by uh, grounding, I guess, would be the only way to describe that particular situation. And so, uh, so let's talk a little bit about my pronunciation uh, of an island. I called it Giglio. I think I called it Giglio, and I'm sure anyone who's Italian went like lost their mind, including my CRO, who uh, thankfully doesn't actually listen to this podcast. So, <laughs> but I have gotten uh, some corrections. So right now, what I'm going to do is I I still don't know quite how to pronounce it, so I'm not quite there yet. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to actually do it uh, live. I got a very th- a very thoughtful listener sent me actually like. Uh, quick Italian lesson in terms of how to pronounce the island's name. And we're just going to do it together. So I'm going to just cue this up here. And uh, you can listen in while I learn how to pronounce the name of the island I called uh, Giglio. <laughs> and it's it's not even close. I wasn't even like half right. I mean, I'm not even like literally I pronounced zero of the actual characters in the name correctly. So I just thought it was kind of kind of a new new record for me, actually. So here we are. It's actually pronounced... She the you. 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 Oh, 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 oh,
Giglio. Okay, I think I think they got him. Giglio. Okay, hopefully I didn't make that mistake. Yeah. Hey, listen, everyone who lives in Giglio, I'm super sorry uh, that I got that wrong. I'll never call Giglio again. <laughs> wow. Um, that must have sounded horrible. Uh, so uh, apparently a few other things that I'm doing wrong. I'm saying I'm too much, so I'm actually trying hard not to say I'm as much. And um, uh, I'm going <laughs> to... <laughs> I did that deliberately, uh, but I'm going to try to say that less often. Uh, then uh, ETC is pronounced et cetera. So I must be saying et cetera or something like that. I must be slurring it a bit. So it's et cetera. And it is apparently commonly pronounced with the T being replaced by a hard C before the second cetera, which begins with a soft C. Uh, so et cetera. Oh, it's commonly pronounced with the T being pronounced. Oh, I see. So, et cetera. Oh, I should be saying et cetera, and I am saying et cetera. Interesting. I see. Okay, and it apparently is a Latin word, and it means and the rest. That makes sense to me. Uh, and then the, um, apparently I'm also being saying things like there's always going to be people who, and I should be saying there are always going to be people who. So I'm using is instead of are, but I'm using is as a form of contraction. So somehow, I don't know where theirs got into my vocabulary, but I am going to blame my last boss who was from Oklahoma and got me saying y'all and a bunch of other stuff. And I'll just say, that's on you, Allison. Okay. So I'm going to work on that one too. And then um, I'm also probably saying brands who, I'll probably say brands a lot. So brands who, which I really should be saying brands which because the relative pronoun who refers to people and the relative pronoun which refers to things. And the relative pronoun that is interchangeable and may refer to either people or things. I tend to think of brands as people, so that's probably why I'm saying who, but correctly they are actually uh, things, so I should be saying which on it. And then apparently I am saying lackadaisical incorrectly because it's not lackadaisical, it's lackadaisical. There's no S in there. I don't know why I thought there's an S in there. I've been saying that my whole life. So lackadaisical, that's going to require some reprogramming, but I'll, I'll work on that. So anyway, thanks to all the listeners who wrote in. <laughs> um, I love that I'm driving people like insane with some of the things I'm saying. And now I know what to say when I really want to get people worked up. I'll just be like, uh, hey, there's a bunch of brands who are really lackadaisical. <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> all right uh what are we doing next here uh i'm gonna talk about <laughs> talk about the shot i had this morning and it's starting to hurt and i'm starting to feel a little weird so just gotta put that all out there uh, but it was a great experience and uh was i'm in florida right now so i you know i kind of rotate back and forth but i am in florida uh which is my home and got a um you're, you're, you're up next. And off I went and I uh, went to Walmart and, uh, at Walmart, I had, um, quite actually quite an interesting experience. Uh, first of all, I've never been to a Walmart before. I know it sounds a little weird, but I've just never been to a Walmart. Uh, so I've never been inside a Walmart. So, um, my very first trip to Walmart was, uh, to get my COVID vaccine shot. Uh, I got the Moderna shot, so I have to go back in 30 days. So that'll probably be my second trip to a Walmart. I got uh, treated incredibly well by the staff. Uh, they were really super duper friendly. We checked in, was really quick check-in, had to show proof of residence and a couple other things. All that went 
very smoothly, uh, sat down in this sort of train of chairs. We had four chairs lined up in a row, and I sat in chair three. And then they called me, and it was, it was moments. I don't even know if it was two minutes. And uh, went in up, and um, uh, just a wonderful nurse uh, gave me a needle. I didn't even feel it. Like, it was just unbelievably easy. It was incredible. And then uh, she made me, or asked me to actually, wait for 15 minutes. And in those 15 minutes, Rachel managed to fill an entire shopping cart. <laughs> Thank God it was only 15 minutes. Within 30 minutes, uh, we were in big trouble. Um, but in 15 minutes, um, Rachel raced around the store like some kind of episode of uh, shopping spree. And um, then uh, I seemed to be okay, and they let me go. And we actually, it's very interesting, kind of a neat revenue model for Walmart because they got me to go into Walmart for the very first time. I really enjoyed it. I didn't actually understand well, anyway, I'm, I'm going to sound like an idiot if I'm talking about Walmart this way. So anyway, it was great. I had a good time at Walmart. I bought 90 bucks worth of stuff and uh, would definitely go back again and uh, shop there again. So um, great. And they gave me a little uh, little box that was uh, full. It had some popcorn in it and had a little um, a chew, like a little chew tablet and some coupons and little instructions on how to take care of yourself. And the QR code on the outside, enter contest. It was, it was, the whole thing was fabulous and uh, couldn't have had more fun. So uh, it was great. I get my second one in a month. Uh, so end of March, I guess uh, early April, and then I am done for this year. And I guess we're going to have to figure out how to do this on an annual basis. So that was my customer experience story for COVID vaccine. Now I want to sort of uh, wrap up something I started last week and in this craziest of podcast episodes that this one is i think this is appropriate that i sort of kind of pull the the, the shutters tight on our discussion around QAnon. and i i'm going to actually refer to an article uh what i i will post on my blog if you've never been to my blog it's copernicanshift.com uh, copernicanshift.com Copernican shift, I've talked about Copernican shifts on this podcast. Uh, basic idea being that our mindset is the key block to innovation. Copernicus didn't really invent anything. He just simply said, hey, what we observe, which appears that the sun is going around the earth, uh, may not be true. In fact, the earth may be going around the sun. And that simple shift in perspective unlocked the entire scientific revolution. And we are all listening and talking to each other right now on these devices because of Copernicus. So I'm a huge fan of Copernicus. He's also Polish. I'm Polish. He's from the same area of Poland that uh, my grandparents are from, which is kind of cool. And, um, you know, he was really kind of, he was like an unbelievable kind of gentleman scholar, uh, Renaissance uh, person, really had a tremendous amount of, what's the right way to describe it? Variety of interests and a tremendous variety of interests. If you want to read about him. There's tons of him online and it's really worth it. So anyway, so CopernicanShift.com, you can go there and you can see this article. The article is called A Game Designer's Analysis of QAnon. Uh, subtitle is Playing with Reality and it's written by Reed uh, Berkowitz. Reed with uh, two E's, R-E-E-D and Berkowitz is B-E-R-K-O-W-I-T-Z or B-E-R-K-O-W-I-T-Z for uh, everyone not in the United States. So um, he has what I think is a really interesting article, and it kind of touches on some of the stuff that I was talking about with QAnon, which is, you know, I was likening them to a, 
sort of a, a cult, a doomsday cult, uh, in that they were kind of calling for dates and then they needed to like update their dates when the date didn't happen. Um, and, you know, I was kind of leaning out there a little bit on March the 3rd when I did that podcast, um, you know, boldly predicting that Trump would not be reinaugurated on March 4th as QAnon and its followers believed. And sure enough, I was right. How about that? Should have put some money on it, but no one was willing to take my bet. Anyway, he has a, I think, a more detailed and thoughtful analysis than than my um, doomsday cult analysis. And, and he basically, he's a game designer and he's worked in um, most of the game formats, like alternate reality games, which are uh, ARGs, LARPs, uh, experience fiction, interactive theater, and so-called sort of serious games, uh, sort of in quotation marks. And in LARPs, if you're not familiar with it, is a live action role-playing game. Um, think of uh, Dungeons and Dragons as being sort of one of the earliest ones. It's not the first, uh, but it sort of kind of came out of genre fiction in the 70s. The very first one, and no one's you know, 100% sure, but they believe is something called Dag or Here, which was uh, founded in 77 and focused on fantasy battles. Uh, and there's actually an association and there's a, uh, there's a society and a whole bunch of stuff for LARP. So we're not going to spend too much time on that right now, but that might be a good topic for a future podcast. Anyway, so uh, his, when he said, when he saw QAnon and he saw the way it was structured, he actually, the read who wrote the article, sort of felt that it was a game that plays people. QAnon is a game that plays people. And, uh, and people have referred to QAnon uh, as an ARG or a LARP, and it actually uses many of the same gaming mechanisms and rewards. And in fact, QAnon has a game-like feel to it. So anyone who's ever played an ARG uh, or any kind of LARP would sort of notice these sort of striking similarities. And uh, the differences uh, sort of shed the light on how QAnon works because although it sort of looks like a game, it feels like a game, it's a little bit different. In fact, it's sort of inverted. And so that was kind of, you know, uh, sort of his sort of take on it. Um, he has a really interesting sort of story where he talks about guided apophenia. So uh, one of the very first experience fictions he designed, uh, the players had to explore a creepy looking basement looking for clues. And there were, uh, it was a object was looking for was Fairly hidden, and the clue was fairly easy. Uh, he describes it as Scooby-Doo easy. Uh, so he didn't expect any trouble in that part of the game. But there was trouble, and the trouble was something called apophenia. And apophenia is the, uh, quotation marks, tendency to perceive a connection or meaningful pattern between unrelated or random thing, such as objects or ideas. And this is like true. People often will equate two separate actions or two separate moments as being related. And then ha ha ha, you know, this is, uh, this is what's actually happening. And this is where conspiracy theories come from. And so uh, apparently in the game that he designed, as the participants started searching for the hidden object uh, on the dirt floor were little random scraps of wood. And, you know, how's that a problem? Well, it's a problem because three of the pieces made the shape of a perfect arrow pointing right at a blank wall. It was, it was uncanny, it was accidental, but it was uncanny and it had to be a clue according to the players. So the investigators stopped looking for the easy to find object and stared at the wall and were determined to figure out what the clue meant. And they didn't go a step further until they did. So the whole game got 
derailed. Then it, then it got even worse since there's obviously no clue there. The group decided the, the clue they're looking for was in the wall and the collection of ordinary tools they found conveniently lying around seemed to enforce their conclusion this was the correct direction. So then, you know, they obviously took the, the tools and, and went at it. And so he was kind of, uh, you know, stared in horror because, you know, it fits so well. And in fact, the apophenia moment uh, is actually better and more obvious than the clue he'd actually hidden him. Uh, and so he thought that was um, kind of sort of funny. Uh, he fortunately had a crude backup plan and he used it quickly before well-meaning players started tearing apart the basement wall with crowbars looking for clues that did not exist. Uh, so the, the idea of game design uh, is that there are actual solutions to actual puzzles and there's a real plot created by the designers uh, and it's easy to get off track because there actually is a track right so a great game runner the puppet master uh, can use a couple of these speculations to create an even better game but you know the plot can be adjusted in real time and but it always has to stay on its track and so it can create amazing moments in the game but it's not easy to even go off the track so you have to stay on it for example he could have entombed something in that wall where he accidentally thought they accidentally thought a clue might be but um he was out of luck because he couldn't couldn't do that and so if you're a designer and you have puzzles and you have a plot then apophenia is a wild card you have to be concerned about and so QAnon, according to reed is a mere reflection of this dynamic in QAnon, apophenia is the point of everything so in a game you've got scripted plots in QAnon, there are no scripted plots there are no puzzles to solve as created by game designers. There are no solutions. QAnon is essentially all apophenia, essentially growing on the wild misinterpretation of random data presented in a suggestive fashion and in a milieu designed to help users come to the intended misunderstanding. So guided apophenia would be the phrase that Reed would use and guided because the puppet masters are directly involved in hinting about the desired conclusions. They're preceding the conclusions of these random uh, non-associated facts and constantly letting the player get lost by pointing out unrelated random events and creating a meaning for them that fits the propaganda message that Q is delivering. Uh, this is this whole false flag sort of scenario that are constantly being cited Anytime anything happens, false flag, false flag, false flag, meaning like every single event can be seen as being something deliberate. And I think you should read the rest of the article. It really is something else. And I think he's done a great job of really understanding uh, what it looks like and, and how do you deconstruct this with AI. But, you know, in a way, he talks about it as essentially a groupthink engine led by puppet masters uh, to create uh, connections where no connections exist. Very interesting. And I would say what would maybe the thing I'd love to talk to Reed about is if you think about March 4th, that the only difference between that March 4th date was that it did feel like it was a guided path there. So it felt like more of a guided path than typically QAnon follows. And uh, obviously it was so current, like it was so recent. I wonder why they decided to choose that. Uh, and maybe they did it as a way of creating more random events. Like I have not delved into QAnon very deeply over the last few days, but the fact that it didn't happen on March 4th must be an interesting fodder for why it didn't happen and fodder more false flag events and more sort of random occurrences, et cetera, et cetera. Do you like the way I did that? 
built in my grammar lesson right there. All right. So uh, that's it for today. Uh, that was kind of a fun uh, rock and roll and podcast today. <laughs> you got a chance to hear Hester in action. You know, I can never be surprised. Uh, we got to talk a little bit about uh, grammar and uh, ways I need to pronounce things and not be so lackadaisical about my grammatical pronunciations. There are many other things that I want to talk about today. For example, like my uh, vaccination. And finally, we've wrapped up our exciting two-part series in QAnon, who I will probably never, ever talk about again. And for the CXM experience, I'm Grad Khan, CXO at Sprinkler, and I will see you next time. <laughs>